0: Welcome to AEC Marketing for Principles, brought to you by Smartigys, where we help design and construction firms navigate sales and leverage marketing to win more projects. Here are your hosts, Katie Cash and Judy Sparks.
1: Hi everyone, Katie Cash here, sitting with my partner in strategy, Ms. Judy Sparks, as we are diving into today's episode of with Jake Steffen, the president of Arco Design Build, BTS. We are super excited to talk with Jake today, not only because he and his firm often partner with design and construction firms across the Southeast for developments, but because he represents so much of our typical C-suite listener base, being technically trained, coming up through the ranks of a construction firm, and then finding himself through the path of principles, sitting as a president of a design-build firm today. So, Jake, we are very interested and excited for you to share your journey with us and our listeners today and appreciate you taking time out.
2: Well, absolutely. I I appreciate it. Uh, Happy to be here and certainly uh, a fan of the uh, podcast. So this is kind of a neat experience for me, too.
1: Well, you know, I, I'm sure you're trying to contain your your fangirlism over there and you're getting super excited to talk with Judy and I both on the show, but we are equally excited to talk with you and maybe you could share with our listeners that might not be as familiar with Arco Design Build a little bit about your company and and really what your day looks like serving as the current president.
2: A day is always a fun a fun <laughs> conversation point. Well, we'll start with, uh, with ARCA Design Build as a company, first and foremost. We are a uh, design build uh, contractor, general contractor, who travels nationally. Um, our focus is predominantly industrial buildings, especially out of the Atlanta, Indianapolis, Charlotte, Houston, and Philadelphia, well, Philadelphia, New York, and Baltimore offices. Um, that's, that's our core. Uh, we do plenty of other things as well, but our our real specialty and what we grew up on and have become today is really the experts in the industrial design and build construction process. Um, and we've we kind of view ourselves really as a customer service company that just happens to do construction along the way. I love that. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, one of the little mantras that we have around the office and and really what we've built the business around uh, today. So. That's kind of what we what we look for. Um, we work a lot with end users, cold storage clients, pharmaceutical clients. Obviously, the the big developers around the country as well. So there's a lot there in terms of uh, what keeps us busy. I guess you'd say
1: that is um, it's so interesting to kind of see how you you've evolved across the industry across the southeast. It sounds like you're even kind of encroaching up into the northeast in terms of geography, but focusing really in that industrial market that is kind of experiencing a boom as we sit here today and, and a lot of that being driven by e-commerce and the demand for warehouse and distribution facilities. Are you seeing any other trends in that particular market that have kind of, you know, maybe you're seeing more through just design build, procurement and things like that?
2: Yeah, it's it's I think you definitely hit on some of it, Katie, in terms of the e-commerce thing. That's obviously changed the way that distribution has has been viewed and looked at, right? I mean, the American consumer buys completely differently today than they did 20 years ago. And so you've got lots of companies that are trying to still today figure out how to deal with that. I mean, we we look at the Amazon effect and the things that have happened there and how they've kind of looked at and embraced this. This concept of of the last mile distribution and and utilizing all different sorts of ways to get the product to the the consumer, and and there's a lot of companies that are still trying to figure out how to catch up to that because it's somewhat questionable as to how profitable at all um, some of this last mile stuff is that that Amazon's doing, and they're kind of getting away with it because they're Amazon and. It doesn't necessarily work for everybody else. So there's a lot of trying to figure that out. And we're seeing people do things along the lines of trying to do distribution out of their retail stores because they've already got bricks and mortar to completely independent distribution centers for nothing but e commerce. To let's take our existing distribution center that's designed to go and deliver to bricks and mortar and let's figure out how to carve out a section of this warehouse or do an expansion on this warehouse and. D.C. kind of distribute out of that. And so nobody's really got that perfect solution yet in that. So that's driving a lot. Uh, and I think you hit right on that. The other thing we're seeing a lot of is is uh, in the food business and, and the cold storage arena, there is a ton of activity, which is great for us because we're one of the premier builders in the country uh, for cold storage. And so we've seen a lot of uptick and growth in that, both on the import-export side of things. There's a lot of um, these inland ports that have developed, uh, as trucking and transportation has been a big problem. We're seeing a lot more of these inland ports that aren't anywhere near water, right? Like Greer, South Carolina, um, and, and Joliet, Illinois, that are are just Popping up because there's a lot of industrial land, they're near roadways or railway intersections, and they can bring in a lot of product from a port and then distribute from there as kind of a secondary spot. And so we're seeing a lot of that sort of thing happening as well, where we're seeing these uh, cold storage or food distribution things happening. Uh, And the other thing that's been really interesting in the food world is the way we buy our food is completely different than the way we used to do it years ago. You know, 20 years ago, you walked into a grocery store and you had no, idea there was no organic anything. Right. Um, and now there's organic aisles, like multiple sections of it. And you go into Publix and every major department's got organic produce or organic meats, or organic seafoods and, or Greenwise, this or that, and right, all these different things. And so all these companies are starting to embrace that. And one of the things that's developed out of this green movement is the concept of um, frozen is the new fresh. And so you're seeing people buy produce now out of the frozen section and it'd be potentially fresher than what you're buying out of the actual produce section. Because it came out of the field and immediately got frozen and went right into distribution. whereas The other produce that came right out of the field, it had seven days before it got to a distribution point or something along those lines. And you already have the decaying process starting there where it's kind of been put on hold with the frozen foods. And so frozen is no longer a TV dinner that you sit, you warm up in a microwave and sit and eat.
1: You know, it's so funny whenever you were talking about, you know, the way we buy food and beverage has changed. I thought you were going to go along the lines of kind of continuing on this e-commerce story with,
2: yeah. uh,
1: you know, Blue Apron and Hello Fresh and those meal kits. But I really didn't think about, you know, I just went to Publix earlier this week and I did buy a lot of frozen stuff because I knew I wouldn't be able to eat all of the fresh yep. vegetables. Um, so I hadn't even thought about that. So that's that's really interesting to me.
2: It's amazing. And, and your point on Blue Apron and these meal kits is valid, although it's been somewhat unproven as to how sustainable that stuff is. And, and even Amazon Fresh and what they're trying to do and groceries, you know, groceries through e-commerce is is still somewhat unproven in terms of what it is. You know, it got tried 10 or 15 years ago. Well, heck, it was, it was almost 20 years ago when, you know, in Atlanta, we had like Webvan. I don't know if you guys remember that at all. I loved it as a young professional, but I was definitely ahead of the curve, I think, in terms of what was okay, because that crashed and burned in a hurry. Um, But now you can go and you can order from Publix and you can order from Kroger and you can order all these, you know, my wife knows all these different things. I'm not as familiar with them, but (laughs) (laughs) there's there's a lot of that stuff that's out there that you can get that home delivery. That's not really distribution oriented. It's really driven more by the You know, it's Uber or it's driven by the the grocery stores themselves and things like that for home delivery. The meal kits are interesting, um, but I'm not sure how long term that goes in terms of the premiums that people are paying for that and things along those lines. But the impact on the the cold storage market has been tremendous in terms of all this additional frozen and cold product that's being kept. And that's been a huge motivator or driver, I should say, of our business over the last eh, five to 10 years, I'd say.
0: So Jake, there's a couple of things that you said, um, you mentioned the Amazon effect and you mentioned how a lot of, um, people in your position might even question, you know, how, how profitable is that? And not every retailer out there or distribution, um, center can get away with that. And so, you know, just this avoidance of, you know, becoming a commodity. Um, and then you Your company is really a customer service company that happens to do construction. And I kind of link those two ideas about, you know, avoiding this um, commodity service platform that is so common where low bid wins and being able to bring extra value to a customer. And um, you, you know, very well articulating that your company is built on this philosophy of being a customer service company. Can you give us a little bit deeper dive of what does that look like and how does that define your brand?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good observation, Judy. It's um you know, we we've we have we have worked really hard and you guys know better than anybody. It is really hard to build a positive reputation and and it takes no time at all to destroy one. And so you know, I've been at Arco for over 20 years now at this point, and we have had the same common theme the whole time I've been here. And and we've got the same core values uh, today that we, we had then. And a couple of those that are really, you know, I think worth discussing or, or really kind of help identify our brand. The first one's not anything complicated. You get taught it in kindergarten. It's treat people fairly and do the right thing. It's just how we do business. and Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of companies and businesses out there that like to try and separate business from how you'd actually like to be treated as a person. And, and we try to not do that. We, we look at it and say, look, we're in the people business. I mean, we are trying to sell, quite frankly, just the logistics service to clients. Um, sure, we think we bring a lot of specialized intelligence and ideas and concepts on how to do this to the table. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're really just, we're selling a service that if people had enough time and energy and expertise and maybe enough uh, desire to take on risk, they'd do themselves. But we think we do it pretty well. And so because of that, we we sell that we can, but at the same point in time, we're really just dealing with people. And the flip side of that is, we, we self-perform some of our own work, concrete and, and things along those lines, um, but predominantly, most of our work is, is subcontracted out. and since we're doing it on a national basis, relationships are a huge part of what we do. And so I, I tell our project managers all the time, we need our vendors more than they need us in reality, and that's especially true when we're traveling. so it all ties together that treating people fairly and doing the right thing. You just have to do it. And so, so we've kind of built that mantra in, in terms of who we are. One of the other core values that we really drive on is the concept of we need to understand our client's business and we have to solve their problems. Because at the end of the day, if we're not doing that, we're no different than anybody else. I can... I can go and find a whole series of contractors out there, whether they're big companies or they're two guys in a truck, that if I tell them, go do exactly this, they'll go do it. But if I ask them, hey, I've got this logistics issue and we're really just, you know, our warehouse isn't efficient and we can't figure out why. Or we're having this sort of problem with our concrete slabs and it's really creating a big maintenance draw and we're spending a bunch of CapEx money Most of those guys aren't going to be able to figure out how to actually solve that problem, not to mention identify it as a problem. And so we've kind of built this whole concept of who we are off. I mean, like I said, there's four core values, but those are the two that I think really help define publicly as a company how we how we operate. And uh, I think if you talk to our clients, they tell you the same sort of thing. That the amount of energy and effort and time that we put forth trying to make their businesses better uh, is really what is the endearing factor for us. And I, I think of um, one of our clients that we've we worked with. He, uh, we were talking to him and doing a little interview for a promotional video, and he said uh, they provided us what we needed, which wasn't exactly what we were asking for, and. I think that's a powerful statement because at the end of the day, companies that are building widgets or doing distribution or storing cold product, whatever it is, they do that really well. They don't inherently have the time and the energy to go out and find somebody that knows how to build a building and do that really well. Not to say that you can't find those people, but we like to think that we bring that as a package and that's part of what defines our brand.
0: Well, I definitely think you all uphold your reputation in the marketplace. And um, several of our clients have worked with you, um, either on the design side or the subcontracting side. And so I'd like to talk to you a little bit about this idea of treating people fairly and doing the right thing and how that extends to, you know, the architects that you select to work with or the subcontractors that um, earn your business. Can you talk about some of the key things that you look for in those partners?
2: Sure. And it's, I'm glad you use the term partners, Judy, because I, I, that is kind of how we view them. Um, Cause they, they really are, especially on the design side, um, partners more than anything. Um, you know, we have, I think we generally come to the table as a contractor with a lot of ideas. Uh, and frankly, the way we typically do business from an estimating standpoint and a uh, uh, trying to acquire a business standpoint is, is we actually will do our own in-house design and concepts through our, our project managers and put our estimates together based upon our understanding of the scope and knowing exactly what's to go into the building. That can honestly be a pretty good challenge for designers, um, because some designers are very used to the other side of the contracting world, the plan and spec world, where they're not ever given the concept of what or or the I should say the ins and outs of what's going into a design, right? They're given, Hey, we need a building. It needs to be 250,000 square feet. Go ahead and design it. And we're bringing our partners in after we've already won the work and we're saying, Hey, look, we've got to design a 250,000 square foot building. Here's actually the footprint. Here's what the base spaces are going to be. We've already run the joist calculations. We came up with this. Our columns are this big we need in this part of the building to actually change the base spacing to fit their rack space, because this is what it is. They need to be 82 degrees on the inside of it. And we've already figured that we're going to be roughly about this many tons of AC. We kind of laid it out like this, like we we've already thought through that. And so our relationship with our, with our design partners is one of, here's what we've got. Please tell us where we're wrong. Sometimes we're wrong to the good. Sometimes we're wrong to the bad, but please tell us if we're wrong. Um, and at the same point in time, tell us if you see some better ways to do some things, but these are the challenges we're trying to overcome. Here's what we'd like to do. We like to think that we in turn cut out a lot of that, um, design development phase for, for some of the designers, uh, that can make them more efficient in what they are doing And in turn, ideally, turn projects around with us quicker than what would otherwise be the case.
1: I bet they
0: find that helpful, especially right now where everybody's looking for good people. I mean, there's such a a shortage of talent in the marketplace, as you know, and to work with a partner, a construction partner that has helped you solve a lot of the, you know, hard issues going into a design project is probably very helpful and welcomed now, I would imagine.
2: I think it's viewed that way. And, and, you know, especially by most of the, the design partners that we work with, you know, regularly um, I think it's somewhat intimidating, quite honestly, to people that haven't worked with us previously, because it's a lot of information and it's some respect, we're just a stupid contractor, right? So what could we know? And, and so, and I don't, I don't blame anybody for thinking that either, quite honestly, based upon the reputation of some contractors that are out there. Um, So I think it takes a little bit of a conversation to get comfortable with what that really is um, and how we're working. But we're also not perfect, Judy. I'd like to say that we are. And so there's times that we're wrong (laughs) and that leads to some frustration because we've told you, hey, do this. And we interpreted the client wrong sometimes and we've got to go back to the drawing board or shuffle something around. I still think majority of the time we're much better off than we would be if we're just starting from nowhere. Um, And so I think, I think there is definitely a benefit for our design partners. Uh, It's just one of those things, you know, you you mentioned people that are are wanting to do business with us and things like that. It's something that I think they have to go into eyes wide open with because it is a different mindset and it's a different perspective and, and we don't, we're not doing it because we disrespect our design partners and think that they should be nothing but drafters. We're simply doing it quite frankly, just to help expedite the whole process, which at the end of the day is what we're really trying to give our clients.
1: What does that um, partnership look like if you take it to the subcontractor level? How does that come to play there? I would imagine you're still yeah. still looking for a partner that's, you know, not just, you know, putting the widgets together, but going to challenge you on Hey, you know I, I saw that you were specking this. Did you know about this alternative um that might save us some time on the schedule, or you're you're kind of looking for that collaboration? It sounds like
2: yeah, I know we absolutely are, and it's it's especially important on a national basis, right? Like it's one thing to be traveling around the southeast where generally things are typically about the same. you know the the code officials are about the same. The way we do things are about the same. Um, the type of design standards you have are about the same. Um, Obviously there's differences in a lot of different places around the Southeast, but just speaking broad spectrum versus like when you decide you're going to go to California and build something, they don't do anything the same in terms of (laughs) how we are in the Southeast. I mean, like, it's just, it's a whole different world of concepts and ideas. And I mean, they build buildings at 1% slopes out there because they they It helps with site design, and you talk to somebody out east and you talk to them about building the building out of out of you know out of plane where it's literally sloping from one side of the building to the next at one percent, and they look at you like you're crazy
1: well yeah that that's a that's a design flaw on this side of the country for sure,
2: yeah, you get sued for that sort of stuff, It's called <laughs> Arizona emissions insurance and, and so so it's just like you run into that stuff, and if you go to do something in the northeast, you know they're absolutely going to tell you exactly how they think. Things should be done up there, and this is how we do it. And, and a lot of times, there's really good reasons for it, based upon the design conditions or the the environment that they have. And sometimes it's just because this is how we've always done it, and you know, and this is just how we do it. And and a lot of things are different, you know, labor markets and some things that cost more material-wise, but are definitely more valuable from a labor standpoint because it saves time. Well, it cost justifies in a market like New Jersey but it doesn't cost justify in North Carolina. sure. And so you have to be open to those conversations, like you're saying, Katie. And so we kind of approach our our subcontractors in a very similar sort of mindset where we put out a set of drawings and and we say, hey, look, this is a design build project. We are controlling the design. And henceforth, as long as you have some concepts or ideas that make you as a vendor and as, as a subcontracting partner more valuable or more cost-effective, which is serving our client or us in a way that's positive, we'd love to hear them. And if we're not changing the performance of the building, or we're not changing the long-term duration or or maintenance upkeep of the building, well, we're going to consider that. And we view that sort of intellectual property as specific to that vendor. Yeah. We won't take it and shop it around and say, Hey, that's a great idea. We're going to go tell all your competitors about it. And then, right. You know,
1: I think that goes back to, you know, doing what's right. That kind of mantra that you, you set up, set forth a little bit earlier in our discussion. Exactly. Kind of honor that. I I think, you know, to to echo what Judy says, that speaks really highly of, of your firm and and the brand and the reputation that you've built and you've maintained and continue to sustain it, you know, many decades into it. Um, If we could, you know, the, The name of our show is how to win work with owners and would really love to better understand Jake, if you could shed some light on it, you know, how would a firm that hasn't had the opportunity to either partner with you from a design capacity or, you know, partner with you from a subcontractor capacity, how do they get their foot in the door? And what does that look like in terms of onboarding a new partner for opportunities? Is there, do you have a formal selection process? Is there a, a vendor pre-qualification process they go through. What does that look like for ARCO? Yeah,
2: it's, it's it's a great question. And, you know, the great news is we are a relationship-driven company. Okay. The, the terrible news is we're a relationship-driven <laughs> company.
1: It's a double-edged sword for sure. It's right? a double-edged
2: sword. And so, so it's interesting. I, I think, you know, from – and it's a little bit different from a design partner standpoint versus a subcontracting standpoint. Uh, we'll talk about it from a design partner standpoint first and foremost. Um, you know, the, the way to go about it from, from a big picture standpoint is is really, I mean, reaching out to us. And we've got ARCO as an entity, you know, a $2.5 billion a year construction company, has, I think we're at 28 offices all over the country. Um, and I named a whole bunch that were here on the East Coast that's all part of what I call the ARCO design build family. But you'll find ARCO has a name on a whole bunch of different offices around the country. Okay. The, the thing to really do, and generally speaking, we all somewhat do this concept pretty similarly. We all have the same core values. We all operate as a business, generally the same. How procurement works is a little bit different and who our partners are is a little bit different um, from one place to the next. But like for us, civil engineers, we very much Want to use local civil engineers typically on all the projects that we're doing, at least regional at the worst case scenario, because site is one of those things that is very different from one place to the next to the next.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense for sure. Understanding the local jurisdictions, all of that.
2: Absolutely. Connections and knowing what gets interpreted and how they interpret it and what they want to have enforced. And th- there's just so many different things. Uh, and so so from a civil engineering standpoint, you know, the best thing to do is 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 really just to kind of reach out to whichever office is most most local to you and and working on that introduction and, and who you are and, and what you do. Again, understanding that generally speaking, all of the offices have a specialty or a very good knowledge base in industrial construction. Some of the offices do a variety of other things. Some of them do multifamily. Some of them do self-storage. Some of them do entertainment, you know, like there's a variety of different things. So talking to that local office really will help understand a little bit of where their specialties are and where some of those needs are. Okay. Um, So so that's where I would start from a civil engineering standpoint, architectural and structural. It's kind of a little bit of a different animal. Um, You know, we, we will use regional guys when we're dealing with more regional focused areas. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense to take an architect out of Atlanta to do work in California because there's so many specialty things to California. But generally speaking, most of the other states you can kind of bounce from one to the next to the next as architects and structural engineers. Okay. So in a lot of those scenarios, we will, again, similar approach. I would talk to the local office because that's the easiest place to start. Or if you know that there's an ARCO office that's doing work in your area, right? We're usually not very shy about putting up signs on construction sites. So you can kind of reach out to the ones that are doing work in your area and start that dialogue. Understanding we are a design builder. We are going to have a lot of ideas on how we do things. Um, and, you know, I'm going to say this. I'll say this out loud. Typically the fee structure that you would get working with us versus working in a plan and spec scenario with an owner, is completely different because you're not doing any of the construction admin or very little bit of it. You're, you're, you know, we're giving you a lot more direction in terms of, Hey, this is what you're doing. You're not having to do all the front end stuff like we talked about. So those fees are usually dramatically different. Um, And as long as you're comfortable with understanding that and how things work, and it works with your business model, then the conversation is worthwhile having. Um, but I can't speak to how everybody does business, of course.
0: So, Jake, what about your MEP engineers? How do you treat how do you treat those relationships?
2: Yeah, good question, Judy. Very similar as well uh, to some degree. We kind of do MEP on two different fronts. Um, when we have time, we like to do MEP as a design-build subcontracting relationship so we'll find those vendors that do the design in-house as well as the installation um, and procurement themselves we've found historically that that has been beneficial from a standpoint of cost Um, as well as a lot of times regional markets they know a lot more of what they can and can't do and what works really well Uh, so that's one side of the coin when we have time and there has been a movement across the country uh, over the last 10 years, I would say, where more and more permit submittals are having to come in with not just architectural and structural, but also all the MEPs, which puts a lot of demand on having that work done and completed day one. And so uh, in those scenarios, we are oftentimes partnering with an MEP Engineering firm as well, or maybe one that's doing just electrical, and one that's doing mechanical and plumbing, or or however it works, right? Um, so again, same sort of process. I, my recommendation is reach out to the office that's local to you, and and touch base with them. I know for you know all the ADB offices, you certainly could reach out to us in Atlanta. We're kind of the head of all the ADB offices, and we can kind of help steer you in the right directions uh, to building that relationship. Um, and kind of going from there.
0: So Jake, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Please. Uh, so you're let's say you're the local office and an architect is calling on you or an MEP engineer or civil. What are the top three things they could say to you to make you want to do business?
2: Well, that that's a great question. And it does put <laughs> me on the spot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do you want to hear?
2: <laughs> I think the things that are most interesting to me are what value do they think they can bring to us? And and I, I say that because I like to know where people where their strengths are, right? And some engineers and architects they've got these very creative conceptual designs. Um, some of them have relationships that work really well. I mean, we're we're very open, obviously, to the fact that if someone brings us into a deal and a project, and and creates that relationship, we're absolutely going to use that vendor on that project, like. Again, treat people fairly. Do the right thing. If someone brings you to the table, you don't you don't go and not use them. So, so that's part of it. That's not usually what we're looking for, but sometimes that's one of those things that comes up. Uh, I wouldn't say that happens typically on a brand new relationship. Usually, that's something that after we've been working together for a while and everybody's got a comfort factor, then then that comes up. Um, But I I like to understand areas of expertise. So that's one. Another thing that I'd like to understand is how they do business. And frankly, part of the how they do business is really getting into a little bit of the weeds of when we're, when we're sitting down and doing a design meeting and design kickoff meeting, who's going to be the person that shows up at that meeting? Is that the person that is my business relationship or is that the person that's actually going to be doing the drafting and the actual design? And Uh, how do they do their quality control? Because that's a big deal to us is we want to make sure that at the end of the day, what we're talking about is going into their brains, being absorbed, being put on paper, and it's not coming back with a whole bunch of twists and turns that we didn't anticipate or more importantly, we didn't discuss. And because that's just lost time. And in our world, we're selling time. So we've got to be efficient in terms of everything that's happening. So so those are two big things. And I'd say if I talked about a third, it's probably more more of what I would call a more of a factor today than it might be in another time. But I mean, today, everything has to do with labor and how much labor you have and how much capacity you have and how long it takes you to turn sets of projects around. and And I think that's a big deal in terms of understanding what someone's workload is. We've got Unfortunately, we've got relationships right now that, in some of those scenarios, the what used to take them four weeks to turn around the set of drawings is taking 12 or 16 weeks because they've gotten so busy. And relationship aside, we can't do that because we can't sell that to our owner. It's not what we promised. So, understanding people's workload is a big deal, and, and that, I mean that's true with any of our vendors, whether they're engineering. Or whether they're design build or um, design build partners in terms of contractors, or whether or not they're you know masons or anything, uh, it's very open and honest conversation about what it takes to uh, get things done.
0: Those are great answers, Jake. And um, one more tough question, and and um, and I'll be done with you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're dismissed. <laughs> I am wondering um, what are some critical things that a partner can do to definitely lose your business. Ooh. Yeah. Sometimes that's more helpful to know. Like- because, you know, everyone makes mistakes and long-term relationships persevere, but at some point you say, we won't do that again. What does that look like?
2: Yeah. And that's really great because it, it is, you know, I, I tell our clients all the time that it's, it's not what we screwed up. It's how we reacted when we screwed it up because we're going to make a mistake. It's going to happen. Um, I think, from a, a big picture standpoint, this is answering your question in a roundabout sort of way because it's not exactly what I expect our vendors to be honest with us. And when they can't do something, I expect them to be honest. And when they've made a mistake, I expect them to be honest because we can't fix it otherwise. And so, in the roundabout way of answering your question, not being honest will will lose you our business quickly. Um, I mean, and, and that's a big issue. I think repetitive mistakes. Uh, and when I say repetitive mistakes, I don't mean making mistakes repetitively, although that's not great, but making the same mistake over and over that's that, that will lose you our business because it breeds no confidence. Like I'm all for the process of going through design. And, and I know it's difficult, especially with our design partners. Um, a lot of times of, Hey, look, you know, this is how we like to do it. And it gets done and it gets drawn. And, and then it comes back and it's not that way. And we've got to red line it. And we say, Hey, look, we, we, we talked about this before. You didn't really get it right. Here's how we draw it. Okay. And then it comes back and it's wrong again. And when we're not getting questions back as to how to do something and we're just getting stuff reissued to us, that will lose our confidence in a hurry. Um, so those are two really big things to me. And, uh, you know, the honesty part, it just goes against our, our core values. So we're not going to do business with companies that don't operate the same way we do. And if you're not going to be honest, you're not going to work with Arco. So that that's really the biggest one, and and then we kind of go from there. Quite honestly.
0: Well, before Katie wraps up, Jake, is there anything else um, you would like to share with our audience?
2: Um, well, I mean, my my wife wanted me to work in the word "braves" somehow, not referring to the actual braves. So I guess by doing that out loud, we've done that. Um, and I don't even know what the kids wanted me to say. No, I'm kidding you
0: can say go braves <laughs> you can say go braves that's allowed
2: <laughs> that's allowed that's okay um you know i think from a a big picture standpoint um you know I, I think just doing business with arco i think can be a really great thing for a lot of companies and we certainly encourage it we as i said before we really want to find good partners and and we really do value the fact that our partners make us who we are. We cannot do our jobs without good partners. Uh, so we encourage that. It's not an easy path all the time to become one of those partners. Like I said, that's the double edged sword of relationships. But I will tell you, you will be treated fairly and and you will be given feedback on where everything is. And sometimes that feedback's not what you want to hear, but it's better than no feedback. So I think that's a, a big part of it and uh, of who we are as a company and and is valuable for your audience to know. But um, I also think that the design, build, construction world is, is something that is a specialty sort of thing that's becoming more and more and more common. It's not, you know, this little twinkle in an eye like it was 30, 40 years ago. But it's still very different than the plan and spec world. And we approach it very differently uh, than the plan and spec world and and we expect that the partners that we have that are embracing design build will approach it very differently as well that being we don't look for the problems in drawings to find change orders and we don't expect our partners to do the same thing so we're looking at things and going that's a problem in the drawing we need to fix that problem and incorporate that cost so that it's not something we argue about later
1: i um you know i'm i'm really appreciative of your time today jake i think if any of our listeners out there have the opportunity to work with you and and to to gain your business and to build that relationship that they will find that to be a, a quite positive partnership everything you've shared with us today has really you know painted and, and supplemented what we already knew about the Arco brand. And as I sit here today, I just wanted to summarize for our listeners. And if I misspeak here, just, you know, let us know and we'll, we'll get it corrected. But, you know, we started off kind of talking about Arco Design Build and your expertise in the industrial market and some of the, the trends that you are seeing in that market around the continuation of e-commerce driving new developments related to distribution centers and and lots of ideation around how to help companies, you know, determine whether or not they can achieve the same level of success with last mile delivery systems, similar to what Amazon have done, but maybe on a smaller scale. You're also seeing a lot of food and beverage activity mainly around cold storage because the way consumers are buying and, and using Produce and other meats and other uh, food and, and beverage materials really are are moving away from the fresh materials that are often you know old or outdated or or discarded um, from the fresh produce aisle more in terms of it being cold storage, so you're seeing a boom there, also a big movement towards more sustainable measures and along the lines of the green movement and then you know as Judy and I started asking you questions about what a good partnership looked like, you're really looking for. A partner, both design, subcontractor, and all of your engineers that are going to challenge the team and, and really look for better ways to achieve the goals and ultimately being honest, whether that's sharing good ideas or calling attention to some of the challenging and owning up to maybe where a mistake might have been made and, and looking for partners that are really going to be honest there. And if you are listening today and looking for a way to get in your, in the door with Arco Design Build, looking for a partnership, looking to build that relationship, Jake shared with us right here today that your first step is to reach out to your local Arco Design Build partners. They are all across the country. There's lots of opportunities to explore a partnership. And when you're able to have that meeting with them, um, Three things that Jake recommends you talk about. First and foremost, um, what value you bring to the team, to that discussion. Um, A little bit about your areas of expertise. You know, as he mentioned, some of the ARCO offices specialize in industrial facilities. Others specialize in multifamily. There's lots of opportunities out there. So understanding what your particular expertise might be. And then also share a little bit of insight on how you do business. You know, are you going to engage with a client relationship manager or is the person who's doing the drafting and doing the design or possibly even the installation of the systems, is that going to be the main point of contact that they go to throughout the development? But again, you know, lots of opportunities out there as design build as a a proven method in terms of greater efficiencies, greater cost savings continues to sweep the nation. Um, We've really enjoyed having you today, Jake. So if there's any lasting comments you want to share, feel free. Um, But we've appreciated it.
2: No, I, I appreciate uh, your guys' time, Katie and uh, Judy. I think you, Katie, you must have been taking notes because I was spot on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Trying to remember off the top of my head, but um, hopefully it's all helpful for everyone. I, you know, we appreciate you being very candid and to all of our listeners out there. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, learned a little bit more about the industrial market here in the US and how you might pursue work with Arco Design Build. Have a great week.
2: You've been listening to AEC Marketing for Principles, brought to you by Smartigies. If you like this episode, please let us know by visiting aecmarketingpodcast.com, where you can learn more ways to position your brand and sell to owners.